Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello and welcome to ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Joanne Rinker, the Director of Practice and Content Development at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Before I get into today's episode, I need to let you know that The Huddle needs your help. August 2020 marks one year of our podcast. We've enjoyed bringing you the practical information you need to optimize care and support your clients. Now we need your help optimizing this podcast. All you have to do is head over to diabeteseducator.org slash the huddle to complete a short survey. If you submit your survey by August 30th, you could receive the newest edition of the Art and Science of Diabetes Care and Education Desk Reference. The website again is diabeteseducator.org slash the huddle. And now on to today's episode. Today I am thrilled to bring you three of the leaders from the American Diabetes Association. Tracy Brown is the Chief Executive Officer at ADA. She's the first CEO in the organization's 80-year history that is living with type 2 diabetes. She joins us to share an update on some of the exciting initiatives and changes going on at ADA these days. Dr. Robert Gabay is the Chief Scientific and Medical Officer for ADA, and he leads the organization's efforts to drive discovery within the world of diabetes research, care, and prevention. Today, he joins us to share an update on the state of diabetes care and education. And Dr. Mary DeGroot is the president of ADA Healthcare and Education. She's a contributor on more than 100 articles and presentations on the psychosocial aspects of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So she'll share some highlights from their recent 80th annual ADA scientific sessions. I'd like to start by asking Tracy Brown what she might want to share about key initiatives being implemented at ADA. Thank you so much for having us. We're, we're excited to be a part of this. And I want to just start by uh, wishing and, and, and hoping that all of the listeners are staying safe and staying well during this pandemic that we find ourselves in. And there are so many things going on right now within the ADA. And I, I think the this pandemic, um, as well as the social and racial unrest that we find ourselves in in this country has really shined a, a light on diabetes and maybe raised the collective consciousness and awareness around diabetes. And so with that being the case, we have really been leaning in to the three pillars of strength within the ADA. And of course, that is around um, science and medicine and research, the second pillar being advocacy, and the third being community. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic hit all of us like never before, and that has forced all of us to do things somewhat differently. 
I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, we have come off our very first ever virtual scientific sessions, which had over 12,500 attendees from all over the world. We had to transform how we do our events in the community, our tour de cures and step outs, which we moved those to virtual. And then, of course, a very long term thing that we have done is camps for our children in the summer. And we converted those to virtual camps uh, that we're, we're now calling Imagine Camps, where we had over 2,700 campers attending. So we've moved virtual. Then I'd also say we have been leaning into advocacy and leaning into advocacy hard. Three clear priorities that we have been pushing. Of course, I think everyone knows ADA has been pressing very hard at the federal and state level for quite some time to lower the cost of insulin and other drugs. We have continued to lean in and double down, particularly in these COVID-19 times, that we have reached out to every every governor in the state asking for and calling for zero copay insulin and prescription drugs. We have leaned in by requesting and pushing for continuity of health care coverage. So for every American who has lost their job during this pandemic, who also happens to be living with diabetes, we have pushed for continuity of health care coverage. And then the third thing is really just around COVID-19 testing and really making sure that we're getting this testing into the communities, into the communities that actually need this testing. And then the final thing is really leaning in hard with health equity, right? And doing everything possible to dismantle the inequities that exist that affect people living with diabetes across research, across the access to care, the cost of care, food, connection, all of those. So as you see, we've been quite, quite busy. Yeah, Tracy, it sounds like you have been very busy. It's interesting because there's so many places where what I'm hearing as you were talking is you're keeping this community of people with diabetes connected. You know, switching so many things to virtual Um, for professionals doing that with ADA 20. And for people with diabetes, the tour to cure being virtual and the camps being virtual. I mean, I, I think it's just an amazing way that you've kept that community connected. I think it would be interesting. Can you share more a little bit about how that virtual tour to cure has worked? And have we found that maybe even more people were able to attend if they could be doing that tour virtually rather than in a specific geographic location? Yeah. So um, I mean, your, your point about connection is so important. Again, as someone who has been living with type two diabetes for 16 years myself, I know the connection to others, a connection to my tribe is so important. And that is why ADA always talks about the fact that we're connected for life. And one of the things, as you can imagine, when the pandemic hit and we discovered that we couldn't have these physical events and physical connections, we automatically said, this connectivity is so important. Let's figure out how to do it virtually. And you're absolutely right. What this has allowed us is to reach at a broader scope 
the ability for more people to participate in these events and multiple events. So typically, you know, they happen in um, specific uh, cities and states and, you know, you're constrained by the physical location. I myself have participated in every single virtual tour that there has been and being able to post all of that on social media and stay connected and meet people from across the country has been fantastic. And that's what we're seeing uh, that this virtual and, and turn to virtual is allowing us to do. In fact, I believe when this pandemic is ended, we will not go back, I don't think, to just physical events. I think there will always now be a, a component of virtual. Tracy, that's great. I just, I love that. And I love how you've kind of increased that access to these opportunities because these events are now virtual. So thank you so much for talking about all those initiatives that are happening at ADA. Next, I'd like to talk with Dr. Bob Gabay. And I'd like to know maybe some things that you might want to share with us about the state of diabetes care and education currently. Well, thank you. As you know, I think all of us have been a bit more reflective uh, given what's been happening in the world around us that Tracy nicely outlined. And, and if I stand back and look at where we are in the world of diabetes, I, I think it's a little bit of a tale of two cities where it's the best of the times and it's the worst of times. And, you know, in the best of times, we come off uh, an amazing scientific sessions where there are incredible presentations. We've made uh, amazing progress in understanding how to reduce cardiovascular risk, new treatments for kidney disease, real hope about the prevention of type 1 diabetes, the value and, and use of continuous glucose monitors, automated insulin delivery, how the healthcare delivery system has pivoted to be able to manage diabetes in the time of COVID, all of these great successes. And, and so that's the best of times, but the worst of times are that fundamentally, if uh, you look at the quality of diabetes care, you know, percentage of people in the U.S. that are meeting goals for blood sugar and cholesterol and blood pressure, et cetera, despite all that progress, it's not gotten much better. And, and part of that is what Tracy alluded to is the incredible health disparities that exist in this country. And, and that's clearly something that we need to address. And that, that really has been a central theme uh, for us at ADA and, and really nationally as the dialogue has, has uh, become even more urgent. You know, on the front of changing therapy and being able to, you know, the observation is that there are pockets of excellence where excellent care is being delivered and people are being reached out to and the outcomes are wonderful. And then there are areas where they're not. And that's been a process that ADA has been tackling amongst other ways through an effort around therapeutic inertia that really helps to bring together the healthcare delivery system to meet the needs of people with diabetes, be more team focused and uh, incorporate things we know work, but spreading them to everybody. So Bob, what are some of those other key practice-based pearls of wisdom that you could share with the listeners about things that actually can 
maybe move the needle on therapeutic inertia, for example? Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of things and probably more than you have time for. But I, first of all, the realization that most diabetes care happens in the primary care setting. And so it really, if we're going to improve the care of diabetes in the U.S., it really has to focus in that arena. Um, and then within that arena, we're still a long ways away from practicing as a team. And so that includes ensuring that patients get the knowledge and support that they need through diabetes care and education uh, specialists, amongst others. They are members of the team and they're uh, sadly underutilized. Another, I think, key starting point is being at the provider level and at the practice level, being able to look at the group that you care for as a population and then how do you move, what are the strategies to move that population in one direction or the other? Our healthcare delivery system is still largely acute-based. Someone is sick or someone has an appointment and they go in. And really being able to engage people between visits, being able to do outreach to people that are not doing well or things that we don't do as well as we used to. And I think COVID has shown us the advantages of a uh, remote delivery model and, and how we can really leverage telemedicine to reach out to people amongst other techniques. Yeah, I agree. And I really hope that because of the outcomes that we're able to see during this COVID-19 pandemic, that it will improve reimbursement for telemedicine in the future moving forward. I'd like to move now to um, talking with Mary DeGroote about some of the hot topics that um, she was able to attend while she was at ADA 20. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Mary. Hi, Joanne. Thanks so much for giving us this opportunity to share with you our thoughts and updates from the American Diabetes Association. I was delighted to attend our first virtual scientific sessions from the, from the American Diabetes Association this year, and even more delighted to serve as the president of healthcare and education this year. We had many wonderful talks. We had over 800 presentations across all of the scientific sessions, and those are archived and available for people um, as we move forward this summer and into the fall. There are a number of talks that I would love to share with the listeners. The first and foremost, I think, for, for all diabetes care and education specialists is that uh, we have a new 2020 DSMES consensus report, as many people know. And this is a consensus report for adults uh, with type 2 diabetes. Many key components in this report that was authored and spearheaded by Maggie Powers and a host of colleagues and approved by, in addition to the American Diabetes Association and ADCES, other sister organizations. Some of the highlights from this report include identification of the critical periods when diabetes self-management and education are most needed by people with diabetes, and that includes at the time of diagnosis, at times of transition of medical regimens, at times of life transition or major life events, positive or negative, um, at the onset or exacerbation of diabetes complications. And then of course, as we know well in diabetes care, in addition to those time points, anytime people are struggling or experiencing diabetes distress. 
So we're delighted that this report has been released in June of this year and and looking forward to having this be widely adopted uh, throughout our systems of care. I was delighted to highlight this report in my own presidential address and in addition to highlight the nature of how fundamental behavior is to diabetes care. And when we think about it, behavior under is the foundation of everything we do in diabetes. And so I was delighted to share that message with um, everyone who listens to the talk. In addition, I presented a history of the most recent 50 years of behavioral science in diabetes um, on which all of our care is based and highlighted the progression in a mere 50 years of of many aspects of psychosocial and behavioral research in diabetes, including diabetes and depression. And then just to pick up on Bob's comment, that I think it is critical that we identify the many different types of models of integrated care that we may have ongoing in different clinical settings. Um, And so that is work, as Bob mentioned, that is ongoing uh, through the Therapeutic Inertia Initiative and others. Another talk that I would point people to, uh, to check out, was uh, Dr. Bill Polanski's talk that he gave in conjunction with receiving the Outstanding Diabetes Educator Award Lecture. And in his style, for those people who do know Dr. Polanski, they know that he challenges us in our thinking every step along the way. And so his talk was entitled, Tedious, Tiresome, and Dull, An Unrecognized Problem That We Can Solve. And uh, what he what said in this talk was to urge us all to think about the ways that we can personalize and tailor our diabetes education and care so that we're maximizing the relevance of what we have to provide. And what we have to provide is wonderful information and education. But we need to make that relevant to our patients. And also that when we do that, we engage patients more fully. And so he, he gave us some pointers on that. Another talk that I thought was particularly outstanding was the uh, talk by Dr. Randy Streisand, who is a pediatric clinical psychologist at National Children's Hospital, who received our Richard R. Rubin Award this year. And in her lecture, she outlined her program of work, which has focused on providing support for parents of young children with type 1 diabetes. And in particular, she has created a parent mentoring model and a stepped care approach for families with young children with type 1 diabetes so that they get the support they need at various levels that they may need over that time. Other uh, outstanding work that was presented, um, which is too, too many to mention in our brief segment here, but just a couple others that I would like to bring people's attention to. Mary Steinhardt out of uh, University of Texas at Austin presented a wonderful description of her work on resilience-based diabetes self-management education for African-Americans with type 2 diabetes. This is a church-based intervention that focuses on promoting resilience for this particular population, African-Americans with type 2 diabetes, which includes helping people to adapt to stress, identifying positive meaning, adaptive coping strategies, coping with discrimination, spiritual coping, promoting self-efficacy, social support, and emotional regulation. So I encourage people to check out that, that talk. 
And then finally, the last two that I would highlight would be, um, I was delighted to see this year in our scientific sessions, an entire symposium devoted to the topic of menopause and diabetes. Um, and so I encourage uh, listeners who might be interested to check out this session, because this is one of the, f the few sessions that we have had about this critical topic that um, affects more women now with diabetes than at any other point in history. That's a function of the longevity of women with type 1 diabetes, which is fantastic, but it also means that it has some unique complexities for people with diabetes and women with diabetes in particular. My own work has also started to focus in this direction, and so we presented a poster on the psychosocial aspects of, of diabetes and menopause and compared women's experience with type 1 and type 2 diabetes to women without diabetes. And this was a, a collaboration with the Diabetes Sisters Network. We were delighted to present this data uh, with more than 1,500 women participating in our online survey. What we found was that women with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes showed greater distress, symptoms of depression, and greater uh, interfering symptoms of menopause during the perimenopausal period compared to women without diabetes. And women with type 2 diabetes seem to have greater struggle than women with type 1 diabetes, although both struggled more than women without diabetes. So this is just the beginning of what I hope will be much more research in this area. And then last but not least, Danielle Hessler-Jones presented an oral abstract presentation this year uh, in our uh, psychosocial and behavioral medicine uh, oral abstract session. I was delighted that she received the President Select Abstract designation this year, and she presented data that she and Dr. Larry Fisher and Dr. Bill Polanski and others have collected on understanding the relationship between diabetes distress and A1C. And what they found in a recent study uh, where they compared a diabetes distress intervention called On Track and compared that to a diabetes education program called Know It is that when people received intervention about emotional regulation, that primed the pump for people to make better use of behavioral strategies that were offered to them through education. And that, in turn, then predicted improved A1C. So further research that underscores what I think many of us know from our own work with patients, that when patients are emotionally available to be able to work with us, that we will, they will be able to absorb more of what we have to offer and uh, make better use of it as they move forward. Thanks, Mary. All these highlights are really exciting to me because they show just how much we're learning about improving the quality of diabetes care using tailored approaches. You shared a lot of information about what someone may want to search for when reviewing these ADA sessions. Could you possibly give a quick summary of your key takeaways? So I'll just add a, a number of the learnings, but certainly not all of the learnings from the ADA uh, 80th Annual Scientific Sessions taught us that we have new recommendations for diabetes self-management of adults with type 2 diabetes. I issued a call for action to continue to identify models of integrated care. Dr. Bill Polanski issued a call for action to tailor and personalize our diabetes education, care, and support for every patient. 
the use of telehealth interventions can be effective improving quality of life and A1C. We have advances in the science of menopause for women with type 1 and type 2 diabetes with much more work to do. And that there's a critical role that behavioral science, education, and behavioral health can play in reducing costs for healthcare systems, patients, and their families. Thank you for sharing, Mary. That gives all of our listeners a strong incentive to access these sessions by registering for the conference while they're still available through September, as you mentioned. We'll make sure to include details on how to access these sessions at the end of this show and in the show notes. Mary, thank you again for your time and sharing some of the most relevant points and information with us. That's all we have time for today, but we look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Tracy and Robert, thank you both as well. We always appreciate hearing news from our partners at the ADA, but hearing directly from the leaders of the organization make us lean in a little more. So thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This was a a fantastic uh, discussion. Thanks, everyone. This was great. Uh, Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you all. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversation with the Diabetes Care Team. What an opportunity to hear directly from the leaders at the American Diabetes Association about the exciting changes and initiatives happening in the world of diabetes care, education, and research. If you're interested in delving deeper into the new research and updates discussed here, you can register for the ADA Scientific Sessions at ada2020.org and access their education on demand through September. You'll also want to make sure to register for the virtual ADCES 20 annual conference, where you'll hear from the leaders in diabetes care and technology, network with colleagues, and access over 30 CEs, all for the member rate of $99. So register today at adces20.org and learn more about the education, networking, and resources available through ADCES membership at diabeteseducator.org join. As always, notes from today's discussion can be accessed at diabeteseducator.org podcast. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.